All right, welcome back in another edition of the Damn Podcast. Brandon Sprague, 1080 The Fan, Angie Machado, BeaverBlitz.com. And we've got a third member on the podcast once again. He's been on once before. He's going to join us. He's with me in studio as Angie is hammering away on BeaverBlitz.com today. Alex Crawford, director, producer of the Legends of the Giant Killers documentary and also part of Dusty and Cam here on the same radio station as myself on 1080 The Fan. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me, Brandon and Angie. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels weird for me to call you Alex. Yeah, people usually call me by my last name, Yeah, which is a whole conundrum. I don't know if you guys ever run into this. Maybe you you dirt and spray. I always, I don't have anybody that calls me Brandon in my life. Yeah, well, just, but the thing is, is when you introduce yourself, do you say, hey, I'm Brandon, or do you say, hey, I'm Sprague? Like, I say, hey, I'm Alex, but then people eventually, you know, I don't want to introduce myself by my last name. Well, Angie, you might be the only one that actually does call me Brandon. Yeah, but when I, you know, I was texting you just a minute ago, and you know what I typed in? What? Sprague. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, when I introduce myself to people, I say Brandon. It feels like I'm being kind of flippant if I don't say my first name. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. a but college, everybody went by their last name. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they for sure did. That was an easy thing in college. It started for me, actually, in middle school. People thought my name was so unique and weird that they wanted to say that instead of my real name. Or my first right. name, I should say. Yeah, I'm a last name guy, but... Anyway. All right. Well, you know. Thanks, Sprague. Thanks, Brandon. No problem. Brandon and Angie and Alex. All right. uh, Let's talk about the game. What the hell was that? What did we see, Angie? What did you see uh, against Colorado, and where has that been all year? I always thought energy and enthusiasm, and, um, you know, it wasn't perfect. And, you know, the defense gave up some big plays that, you know, probably cost them in the end, and the offense would have liked to have had maybe a touchdown instead of a field goal, but... Um, that was, I mean, Corey Hall's energy, and um, that was that was Kevin McGiven. That was his offense that he has wanted to run. That's, uh, you know, I, it's it's hard to say. You know, I had so many fans like texting me and in, in the lodge at Beaver Blitz, talking about, you know, well that was awesome, and you know, Corey Hall. And I'm not ready to say he's ready for the job, but um, it was it was fun to watch. It was a fun game to watch. Yeah, that was the most fun. It's funny to say. I, someone texted me today, a friend. They're saying, man, what a great loss. I know, I really, exactly. I really enjoyed that loss, which is funny because it was definitely the best game of the year for the Beavs, even though their lone win was against Portland State. They were The game against Colorado on Saturday was much better than their game against Portland State or any. It looked like. The Beavs looked like the Beavs that we had seen against the first half or in the first half against maybe Colorado State uh, or against you know some other teams this year in the first half, but then they actually put together a complete game, which was yeah, really strange. Yeah, we didn't see that. You know, and I don't want to say quit, but I mean, we saw several games the second half. They they just looked like they didn't want to be there. So we saw four quarters, and um, that energy was. You know, it looked like guys were loose having fun, and that's where they needed to be at this point. So I, I'm with you guys. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody has a differing opinion. It was just fun to watch them. That offense was what we thought it would be. Uh, look, Colorado is a bad team. That's not a great team. They took advantage of that, and I was just happy to see them go out there, compete, and at least give me something to want to watch. You know, most weekends, I kind of had to fight through it. I like be like, I forced myself, like, no, watch it, watch till. There's two minutes to go, even though they were down 35 points. You know, Crawford and I were in L.A., and, you know, we stuck that thing out at the Coliseum for the most part, uh, even though they got blown out in that one. But here's the thing. I know you talked to Mike Parker today, Angie, and, and I did too. He says there's like this rejuvenated energy around the Valley Football Center with the athletic department and the football team. And 
you know, he he didn't want to throw anybody under the bus because he's the nicest man in the world. But I can't help but come to the conclusion that there was something internally going on with Gary Anderson in that program longer than just a few weeks. I, I feel oh, like completely. there was something building and an attitude or way about going about um, guiding a program that I don't know if everybody was completely on board with or bought in on. And to watch them turn it around so drastically seven days after their coach flat out quits on them, um, I, I think that's a very telling sign. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I know you guys are, are connected as well. I mean, I seriously have heard five different stories, five different sides. So, um, you know, I, I don't know what happened to go sideways like it did. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting. I think we talked about it last week about the text message stream that came out. I mean, that oh, was God, yeah. bizarro. But um, I, I you, you are. I, I think what we saw was, I, and, we, and we said it in Blitz several times about Gary being impatient. And he talked about his process, you know, trust the process, trust the process. But honestly, watching that team over the past two and a half years, I don't know what the process was because I thought the process was to be a smash mouth, hard nosed football team that ran, uh, you know, a run pass option offense with a mobile quarterback. And, and what we saw then was, I mean, a new passing game coordinator come in and, and a pro style quarterback. And I, it's just, there was no process in my opinion, from, yeah. you know, where I sat, um, and now it's a it's a chance for for Corey Hall to come in and and I it, they look like guys that you know I'm sure Gary was impatient and wanted to win and was tinkering and and messing around with what he thought would be best for that program, but it reminded me of you know like the, your friends growing up that had the really strict parents and they were kind of afraid to do anything because they were going to do it wrong and get in trouble or not do it right. It, it's like this team now all of a sudden the the strict. The strict, you know, let's do this exactly perfect is gone. And now they're able to, I mean, there are no expectations for this team. They're able to relax and uh, just go play football. No, absolutely. I felt that. I uh, I had the privilege of being down on the sideline for most of the game on Saturday and just kind of standing on the sideline around the Beavs and just, you know, I can't, I don't have a ton to compare it to because I, I, I went to Beavers practice on Friday. I don't go to Beavers practice as much as you it's do, hard Angie. For us, yeah. And so, but I did get to go see their walkthrough on Friday uh, and just kind of with the whole Giant Killers reunion weekend that I was there for, I really got to be around the athletic department and some of the assistant coaches and the staff and the team and just the Valleys. Just, I was, I was really present on Friday, like Thursday night, Friday and Saturday around that. And I don't, have a ton to compare it to but the energy that i felt was yeah it was loose it was light it was like like you said the, the friend who has the strict parents and then and then they the parents leave and they go wild and they go crazy yeah. right and it was kind of like that like I, I used the word morose to describe how the osu sidelines at least felt in the stands or looked on tv or kind of just uh yeah, I, I can't put exactly the word on it, but dead, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it looked alive, and so uh, it was really refreshing, and it was just fun, man. Like, I know that we always critique Beaver fans, right, for, like, we shouldn't have this defeatist mentality. Like, we should ex- we should expect, you know, this X number of wins. But from what they were earlier in the year to what we saw Saturday, I'm cool with that right now. You know what? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because they were competitive, right? I mean, yes. it, was, it was a team that was competing and and that's what we hadn't seen all year. Well, and, and another thing is the viral video that went out Saturday oh, night. Oh, wasn't that Sunday. amazing? Yeah, no, look, it, it was incredible. Um, I normally <laughs> hate when they tweet out like photos after a blowout loss. I know, loss. I know. <laughs> I, hats off to you know Oregon State for that because it was awesome. Yes, um, it was a great message. I've loved everything Coy Hall has said and done. Here is my only question up, up about that. 
<clears throat> I think Corey Hall, we'll get to the coaching stuff a little later in the pod. I don't know what the realistic possibilities of him as a legitimate head coaching candidate are. Um, part of the next staff, I, I would hope that that's maybe a conversation that needs to be had. My only concern or complaint, I guess, would be he seems to be what we were looking for. Remember the Wazoo coach a couple weeks ago after they beat USC? Yes. Yes. Uh, was it Manning? Manning, And yep. he had a two-and-a-half-minute video, and he's going crazy. And <laughs> laying by the cougar. And laying yeah. by the stuffed yeah. cougar and the pirate. And, and you and I on the podcast, Angie, were like, that's what Oregon State doesn't have. They don't have that person. Well, they do. It seems to be Corey Hall, but how much of it was him being held back by Anderson, not wanting the attention to be taken away from Anderson, or I, I don't know, just where was this? Where was this? This no attitude idea. is clearly something the kids love. They love to see this. We love to see this from a fan base, to see the energy, to see how up they are for games. And it feels like somebody I've never seen before on the coaching staff. He's been there all year. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it in practice. You know, you see Corey with the cornerbacks, and he's very animated and very vocal. But, um, yeah, it, it hasn't been. And, you know, he was up in the booth um, most of the games. He just moved down to the sideline, what, three games ago? Yeah. So um, when they moved Kev, or Kevin Clune up. So, you know, honestly, it, it is. I mean, the players seem happy. I was at practice today, and um, – just a good vibe. Um, they they looked like they were having fun, um, focused. They were. Fo- it wasn't just you know standing around dancing. It was they were focused and, and doing work. But um, just a a nice feeling around practice. Now, granted, there's uncertainty about who the next coach is going to be, and but they're you know Corey has is getting the most out of them right now. Well, and, and another thing too, I uh, I we I was dumbfounded going into that game that when Anderson quit. Um, you know, Angie, we talked about how it was weird that so many people were coming out supporting him. You know, like Coach A's the man, and thank you, Coach A, for everything. And reality is, it looks—I mean, it looks like—and we still haven't heard a definitive. He quit. He, he flat quit. out quit. He yeah. walked away. So no, I can't do this. That's true. Yeah, because we did see a lot of tweets from a lot right? of prominent players. Coach yes. A's my guy. Co- oh, yes. nothing ever bad. But then the vibe and the post-game interviews on Saturday were—is yes. Coach A's gone? And that was the vibe I got too. Around the athletic department was, uh, you know, I showed up at practice on Friday, and someone from the team, the athletic department, said, you know, welcome to the circus, and you know, <laughs> and it was kind of just a, a shrug, and it was kind of like I know who that is. Do we can we cuss on this thing? Do we cuss on this podcast? Uh, no? We try not okay, to, well, but well, if you want to drop, no, but just the attitude was eff it, you know. The attitude yeah. was just screw it. It's it's Giant Killers reunion weekend, which the was a big deal for people in the athletic department. It was the homecoming, which is a big deal for the school. And then the coach quits on Monday, so it was like just bring it on, screw it, middle fingers in the air, let's do this. Yep. I, I kind of liked that attitude out of the Beavs. Well, I did too. And what I was gonna say was like, we finally got at least one player, one player. I thought revealing. How maybe more players feel, and that was uh, uh, Montezuma. Yeah, Hungalu. Yeah, yeah. Hungalu, where he talked in the post game, and and uh, I can't remember who asked, but somebody asked him, "Hey, did you think about Coach A play for Coach A today?" And he basically was like, "No, I'm not thinking about Coach A, not, not never again or something like that." Like, I don't know. He had this like answer of like, "Dude, screw that guy. I, I'm not doing this for him. I'm doing this for us," and I love that. And, and you're right. That that whole narrative changed a lot. So. Um, I mean, when we heard on Monday, when you saw the players, I mean, they, granted, they're upset, right? You know, this is our head coach, and he's, he's leaving, and, and who knows what was said in that meeting. Um, but you got the idea when the players came out that Coach A basically told them they were, he was fired. And you had people, those players were mad, and, you know, Coach A. And then, like you said, as the week went on, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, Coach A's gone. 
you know. And, and I hate that because I, I, I think they, I think the coaching staff, for as as maligned as they've been, I think there was a real internal fight back and forth of perception and reality, where mm-hmm. perception might have been from Gary himself to the players of feeling guilty for wanting to do what he wanted to do, so he spins it. Hey, I've basically been fired. And then they come out and they're like, I love Coach A. Uh, you know, the real people don't even understand. And and then it comes out longer and longer that, no, he quit. And, and you just wonder if the coaching staff maybe was behind, guys, let's rally together. Let's not allow Anderson to be a distraction. Let's publicly say the right things. Let's handle our business Saturday. That's you what know? it seemed like was yeah. they they didn't allow Coach like, A to be. Like it wasn't he was a not genuine. A, there was, I love Coach A. You know, I'm it was distra- like a, hey, yeah. go do this for us. It was not a distraction, right? Like we can all agree. Like the, that that did not seem like it was distracting you from can't, Saturdays. You can't win a game if it's a distraction. And they nope. were in a position to, to win, win a game. that game. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. And then that's that's the tough thing. Um, the other thing, and, and we'll get to some, we got a lot of damn questions that we're going to get to today. Um, and I want Crawford to talk about the Giant Killers just a little bit because I want to give him his props publicly. But how how do we explain, Angie, how do we explain what, at least to me, and I've heard McGivens' answers to some of the, these kind of questions, how do we explain it looking like a different playbook? Well, like I said, I'm, I'm still trying to piece everything together. And, you know, you, you kind of take with, with a grain of salt from everyone you talk to because they all have different, you know, sides, different perceptions. But from what I've been able to piece together, Coach Anderson was ruling the offense and was telling McGiven who to play and how to run it. So, you know, if you have no say in the matter and you're calling some plays but you could get vetoed by the head coach, it's not your offense. You know, I mean, McGiven's offense is a run as a run pass option with with lots of different looks and and motion, which is what we saw on I, I received texts from several people on that are familiar with Coach McGiven and, and saying this is Coach Coach McGiven's offense. You know, it's not going out and finding a you know, Coach McGiven brought in uh Mason Moran and then Coach Anderson goes out and gets uh Luton. Yeah. So, I mean, it's they're totally different types of players. Then next thing you know, Luton is or uh, McG- or Moran has moved to safety. Doesn't even get a shot. So, um, there was I I think well I know there was a lot more going on behind the scenes than anybody led on to. Yeah, I wanted to echo something, Brandon, that we talked about on your radio show, Dirt and Sprig, on Monday. Was that we finally saw sets where like all three running backs were in, and we saw carry split up pretty well in different sets where you know maybe Tyner gets a run up the middle Tyner takes a swing pass Ryan Nall direct snap and then Artavis Pierce lining up in the slot or whatever like that was kind of like you said this on the radio Monday was I hate to play armchair quarterback or armchair have the armchair playbook but I think all season long we looked at the B's offense and we said, well, what do they have? They've got a great stable of running back going into the season. It was kind of uh, who's got the better stable, the Ducks or the Beavs? Right now it's like hands down, clearly the Ducks do. But I feel like part of that was just because the Beavs were totally mis... I'm not an offensive coordinator. They seemed like they were totally misusing the backs and we saw were, I mean, that's exactly it. And, and the, just the different looks. I mean, we saw sets where like three wide receivers were bunched up and then we saw another set where they were all spread across the field. I mean... They were really mixing up the looks, but the strength of that offense, especially when you have a quarterback you don't necessarily want to run because you don't need him getting hurt, is the running backs. And I, I agree. I mean, Nall was the workhorse, but those other guys got their touches. It is um, 
And again, I, I I heard what you said, Angie. So you don't you don't need to kind of stick up for yourself again. But it's frightening to hear that theory, to hear that notion of a defensive minded coach calling the shots like that. That to me is terrifying. And that, yeah, no, I you know, and we've talked about in the pod about you know the I, I'm not an offense I'm not an offensive guy, but yet behind the scenes I I do believe he was trying to call the shots. Which would make a lot of sense. And, you know, as we mentioned, even going into the year, and we were hopeful for the year, and we liked the idea at the time, it would make sense. It would kind of add up because he was continuing to bring up offense in interviews. He was continuing to uh, basically hint that he wanted to add other elements to what he normally likes to do. I just When you start tinkering with things that much in a three-year span in your first three seasons... Uh, that that's just not a good recipe. That usually doesn't end well for a coach, and I don't think it would have resulted in being fired because financially, again, twelve point six million. Um, but I think it shows maybe why he got to kind of a breaking point, and, and not just people close within the program. And Crawford, you heard some, uh, you heard a couple interesting things when you were down there. I've texted a couple people. I've heard, I've heard kind of the same theories. Uh, and Angie, I'm sure you've been talking to a ton of different people, but. It almost, you hear the different opinions from coaches around the country that know him. And it's almost like a split of, oh, I'm not surprised. Or, yeah, I would have told him not to do that. Or how much of a regret that's going to be. Or, what? Why did he do that? It's very weird where his closest friends or the people that know him pretty decently around the country in the coaching circle um, are almost dumbfounded by it. It almost leads me to believe or, or just wonder, did he break? You know, did, yeah, did yeah. he just break and said, I can't handle losing like this anymore. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it. The coaches I hired are no good. We know those techs exist. It, it just, it feels like somebody that broke. His spirit was broken. Yeah, I don't like to speculate too much about people's mental health, but I did talk to some people down in Corvallis this weekend, and that was a, a strong feeling. I like, I like when we <laughs> set things up. I don't like to speculate, oh, I just but... I generally don't, but I, I did. I heard from someone who, like... It was it was not it was more than a grain of salt that I that I will take this this statement with of it sounds like a breakdown. It does. Doesn't doesn't it oh, look yeah. like no one? totally. That's why I say I was like, oh, I don't want to speculate, but all signs point to do <laughs> had a breakdown. This is Britney Spears shaving her head. What's going on, Britney? I don't know. <laughs> you know, a guy at my high school hooked up with Britney during the shaved head period. How about that? He was a break, he was a background dancer in, in her video. Oh, all right. I'd ask you more all questions, right but uh, we'll go the wrong way on I don't this know, pod. Just, you know, I'm just saying, like, would you Crawford hook up with... brings a whole oh, never new mind. to the damn podcast. <laughs> I just thought I had to get that in if Angie, we're talking shaved head Angie, I was worried that he was trying to take that and go, I don't know, but would you hook up with Anderson if he was having a breakdown? <laughs> no, no, no. That's not what I was... I was a little worried that's where you were taking no, this. No, I was just like, I'm sure a lot of guys... Never mind. You know what? Never mind. <laughs> I was going to go back. We don't need to talk shaved head, Brittany. That was a good analogy, Brandon. No, but uh, I just, I think that fair might not be the right word. I think it's just understandable that people have come to that conclusion. Just not a lot of, not a lot of other things seem to make sense. Yeah. that That's my whole point with it. Um, but hey, I loved it. I don't know if we can rely. I love the bye week, but they get Stanford next. Uh, don't feel great about the chances there. I All I want to see... And I only speak for myself. You guys can give your thoughts. All I want to see for the majority of the remaining games, be competitive. Be what you were. Show me the energy. Show me the life. If Stanford mollywops you, hey, I get it. It's Stanford. 
But the rest of their games, the Arizona, Arizona State, the Oregons, show me some freaking fight. That's all I want. That, yeah, that's what I want, too. I want to, I'm just curious to see because, like, you know, I don't know what they call it, new coach syndrome. You know, that first game with the interim coach. What did you call it? Caleb Canales theory. Caleb Canales theory. It's, that's yeah. very real. We see that across all oh, sports is. with it's... all coaches, with all, you see that in relationships with the rebound yeah. and the, 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 the hookup, you know what I mean? Like the one night stand to get over your ex girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. Like, I want to see if, the, if Coach Hall can continue this level of energy and momentum and offensive creativity and defensive tenacity. I want to see if that carries over to Stanford and is not just the the one-game wonder. Do you guys remember Bill Stewart? Does that name ring a bell at all? That no. name is really familiar. Who is that? So Bill Stewart, this is exactly what Crawford's talking about. This is for a football term. For those out there that don't follow the Blazers, Caleb Canales, what the heck does that mean? Bill Stewart was the coach that had to coach the bowl game for West Virginia after yes. Richrod left. Yes, and he got the big... Okay. Yes. Yep. And they got a win, and they looked great. They gave him the gig. They and gave him a huge contract, and right? it did not end well for him. Well, I mean, look at, I mean, Ed Orgeron right now at LSU. Or SC. I mean... Yeah, when, when Coach O took over at SC, they got that big win, right? That upset. I forget. Did they beat Stanford? No, they. I think they beat someone, and then they got their ass kicked by Stanford, I believe. And after and everyone was like, Coach O's the guy. And then they're like, yeah. actually, maybe he's not. <laughs> well, even Helton. Take Helton. People love Helton. I think Helton's a big product of Darnold. I'm not sold on Clay Helton going forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm not either. So until I see something that... By the way, Bill Stewart died. Shout out Bill Stewart. R.I.P., man. I did not know he died Pouring in a little bit of my coffee out. Holy crap. Well, he was old as hell, I remember, when they hired him. He was 59 when he died. Oh, he died young. <laughs> old as hell, huh? He looked old. Yikes. He yeah. looked old. Angie, Didn't he look... stay away from Crawford. Wow. Google Dang, image him. I wonder what he's saying about me. No, Holy no. Crap. Angie, you look great. You look like 30. <laughs> Oh, okay, man. look, Google image Bill Stewart. I did. He doesn't look that old. He looked pretty old, I remember. Okay. Never mind. All right. <laughs> Forget I said anything. Crawford is all over the place right now. <laughs> no doubt. Um, Angie, let's, before we get to the, the coaching stuff, because, you know, this pod's not going to be quite as long as some of the others. Before we get to the coaching rumors or just thoughts on that and the damn questions, I, I kind of wanted to just open it up real quick for, for Crawford. He was down there for Giant Killers Weekend. And, like, I, I think there's no, this is just my opinion. I think there's no doubt they would have probably been honored. I think Alex Crawford deserves a ton of credit for the way that weekend was treated. Oh, well, thank the, the, go ahead. Oh, no, I was gonna say thank you, Brandon. I appreciate that. Uh, it was an awesome weekend, man. Like I know, I think we've talked about this on some of these damn podcasts. I know you and I have had conversations here, Brandon, about how oftentimes the Oregon State Athletic Department doesn't do the best job of marketing themselves or the Beavers brand. Like, we've had a lot of conversations. I think Beaver fans have, Angie, I'm sure you'll agree, that the Beavers don't always, they've struggled to sometimes brand themselves, especially in the shadow of the Ducks. But this weekend, Oregon State just nailed this whole reunion weekend. Uh, Scott Spiegelberg from Varsity OSU, the director, that he he was in charge of everything, um, and he you know had me help out by showing the movie and, and getting some of the guy, getting in touch with some of the guys. But they just did a great job of really honoring that team uh, in a way that I thought 
was both, you know, like looking to the, it, it was a good time for it, like looking to the future. Um, Skip Vanderbunt, the captain of the Giant Killers team, his big sentiment from the weekend was, please forget about us and start winning games now. Like, that's what he, he said. He said, I, he literally pulled me aside and just said, man, I hope they stop talking about the Giant Killers pretty soon because they start winning and building their own tradition. They can't keep propping us up like this. And I was like, well, Skip, come on. Like, you know, you always, schools are always going to remember their history historic teams but no the weekend was awesome uh the majority of that 67 team was back in Corvallis we went to football practice on Friday Skip Vanderbunt the defensive captain for the Giant Killer spoke to the team at the end of the walkthrough there gave him a speech which was cool the sentiment of the speech was uh just go have fun and hit somebody he's like I don't you know win or lose whatever just have fun and how do you have fun you run into people that's what football's about and I'm like that's you know what that's more than they've done all season so uh and then there was a banquet where uh Mike Parker emceed uh Ed Ray spoke Scott Barnes spoke and uh and then of course the team was down on the field for the game on Saturday they were honored between the first and second quarter so I just the school did a really good job with it and I really just I had a great time at that weekend so uh I couldn't say enough about the way it was handled the guys were there and it like people people talk about OSU as a school without a ton of football tradition right like uh, compared to uh, some other storied programs or or just in general like there's not a ton of tradition at OSU but there are some we saw it last year with the Men of Roses thing we saw it with the Giant Killers team uh there are some important football traditions at OSU and I think that moving forward it's important to recognize those traditions and use them as part of kind of the fabric that you're trying to weave and Scott Barnes uh is just he I know he was rumored now for the Wazoo job, which I don't like because Scott Barnes really seems like the right guy to lead Oregon State. I wouldn't in the understand right. a move like that. I wouldn't. It seems kind of like a lateral move. But yeah. I really, Angie, have you had many interactions with him? No, I haven't. That's why it's good to hear, um, you know, your thoughts on him and and kind of where where it's going because I have not. Yeah, I hadn't either. Um, and the fact, I mean, just compared to not to knock the last two athletic directors, but I never. I was making this Giant Killers film, which I thought was really important to the history of OSU, and I didn't get the time. I didn't really take take the. They didn't take the time to talk to me about the movie. In fact, uh, one of them didn't even want to be in the movie, which I thought was an important. I thought, oh, we should have the athletic director in the film to talk about that. Didn't want to be in it. And then Scott Barnes came up, uh, introduced himself. At one point there, I was standing next to him on the sideline during the first quarter when uh, Bradford caught that deep pass. Uh, Barnes turned around, high-fived me and a bunch of the Giant Killers guys and was fist-pumping. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is what I want to see out of our athletic director. Uh, he just seemed like a really passionate, legit guy. I was I was super—that's like number one thing I walked away from the weekend was impressed by him. Cool. Good so, to know. Because, yeah. you know, and, and I've heard of that, too, the whole Washington State. Uh, that would be— yeah, I can't see it happening, but I don't know him well enough to, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. He's He just seems like a, the right guy. Like, that was yeah, my vibe yeah. I walked away with. And part of it was the fact that, you know, here's me, an alumni that made a movie about the football team, but was kind of, I was always kind of not battling with, but like, you know, jumping up and down, waving my arms to the athletic department. Like, here, like what, this is what yeah. I'm doing. Hey, yeah. look at, I'm making a movie for you guys. Like, check it out. And a lot of times they're like, ah, cool, whatever, we don't care. And then with Scott Barnes and then some other people in the athletic department, Scott Spiegelberg, et cetera, Evanson Bernard, obviously, uh, a guy who, you know, helps out with the fundraising there. They were all just like, hey, man, we appreciate what you did. This is important. Like, we got to help our alumni. We got to, you know, remember the history, blah, blah. And so like, I was like, oh, okay, these guys get it. Because if you look at a school, like, I guarantee – 
if someone was making a documentary about something important in Oregon football or USC or any big name program, the school would market the hell out of that and would, you know, raise up that alumni. And then to see OSU kind of do that with me this weekend, I was like, okay, this is what a good program does. Yeah. Well, you, now, Alex, you do have a couple years. But um, maybe you should start making the um, the 2000 Fiesta Bowl. Ooh. You know, that's uh, the big question for this week. The we, this weekend directed at me was what's next, and if I'm gonna do another sports documentary, that is one that's on my short list. And I've had a few conversations with Ken Simonton, and he was really into the idea and said his teammates would be too. Oh, I think all those guys would. I, could you imagine? I mean, I not to disrespect the rest of that amazing team, but like even having like an Ocho Cinco on well, a documentary, just like the Giant Killer story is. About what brotherhood and against yeah. all odds, and then this story is kind of about like this fu swagger Oregon yeah. State, which yeah. Miami West, it's, no, yeah, it's like the U, you yeah. know, and no one thinks of OSU like yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like I would love to show. I think that would be great for OSU's brand, just because Corvallis. We all know this still struggles with that like cow town, you know, white boy college, right? Oh, like yeah. for recruiting and yep. for branding to, to to show that other things are possible there. I think could be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm good. I'm glad you had a weekend, man. Uh, you deserve it. The documentary is amazing. You alley ooped me to sound like a moron in it, but uh, hey, you're in the film, Brandon. Yeah, and I'm giving them credit, and they all immediately are like, nah, nah. Yeah, you nah. say you say they're legends, and they all go, we're not legends. And I was like, well, it's perfect, <laughs> man. It was a great ending. I know. I like being the alley guy i love it dude i i think you did an exceptional job and uh you know how i feel about your work but i appreciate um, that thank you uh let's get to some damn questions here and then we'll talk a little about the coaching and then we'll uh we will um, get going here so i want to start with the first question i see on my twitter timeline from noel who is calling the offensive plays baldwin or mcgiven who's calling the defensive plays Clooner hall um offense was definitely um definitely mcgiven Defense, I you know what I didn't ask, but I, I think Clune is very much in the mix there. Really? Yeah. What makes you think that? Um, I, I would think it's a joint, you know, kind of a team effort. But I think he's still pretty involved. I mean, we we spoke to him after practice today, and he still he still seems very involved in in what's going on. So interesting. Uh, this one from Go Beavs eighty two. What does Seth Collins need to do to catch a break? Yeah, I mean that poor kid. Do we know what the illness is, by the way? Or I've heard mono. Oh my god, that sucks. Yeah, that kid is not. Hey, he can't even catch any break. No, I uh, mean because that's what that's. I mean that could be a, a month or more. Yeah, that's that's terrible. Uh, Matthew asking, should I turn in my tickets if Riley or Erickson return? <laughs> Okay, Riley's not coming back. That's no, not going to happen. I, I don't even know if he would want the job. I love that yeah. rumor, by the way. They're like, as, as soon as there's a vacancy, bring Riley back. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, I actually got a call from a, a colleague of mine that uh, runs a Nebraska site, and he was like, hey, you know, have you you think Oregon State would take Riley back? I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> no. No, not going to happen. I don't, I don't um, think Erickson, I don't know. There's still that. You know, he's got the swagger. He is 70. Like I said, he would have to come up with, like, and, and be able to say, like, you know, basically, I'm bringing the rock in as our D coordinator. And, oh, you know. that'd be dope. If you smell. <laughs> that'd be great for recruiting. Can't you imagine? <laughs> Dude. Don't and I'm get... bringing Ricky Jarrett in as my offensive coordinator. Oh, I mean, seriously, you know, that okay would have that. to. Yeah, what was Erickson's last stint? Was that as the running backs coach at Utah? Yes, he was the running back coach at Utah. He didn't seem very effective there. Well, but you know, he was like the he was also twenty four seven sports recruiter of the of of uh, the I, year for uh, okay. 
I stand for, corrected. Uh, Utah, yeah, for yeah, I just he just seemed like just seeing him there in the booth or whatnot. I was I just always remember being on TV like, man, Erickson looks washed up. But here here's right, this is my two cents. Doesn't have to be anybody else's. Uh, to answer Matthew's questions, yes. If you turn your tickets, if it's Riley Erickson, and I appreciate everything both those did for the program. They took it to heights most fans never thought they would see, given 28 straight years. But Erickson, like Angie, you mentioned, he's 70. Who else in college football is 70 years old? That's you can hire a great staff, but I, I could think be like the Tom Coughlin. No, of college football. I think I'm good with that one. So to answer Matthew's questions, my two cents is yes, I I would turn my tickets in if that's the direction they go. Um, let's see. We got another one. Give me a second here. Good Lord. Scrolling on the internet. There we go. Uh, well, we ever learn what happened with GA. So little of this makes any sense to me. That's from Marco. I, you know, I, I doubt that we, like I said, I've heard about five different, you know, not theories because they're very tied in, but they're different. They're all different constituents, right? So they all have different takes on, on what's going on and they're all different. So, you know, I think everybody has their own, their own thoughts or their own beliefs, but I doubt that we get the full story ever. And I think more important than that is the attitude that the team's taken of like, screw it, we got to move forward. Cause if you don't, and it like, it just doesn't matter anymore what happened because clearly there was something holding this team back. And clearly, as you guys said, there was a bad vibe around the Valley football center and that's gone. And I wish Anderson the best, but we got to move on. You know, that's- I don't know. There's a few people around uh, Corvallis that, um, down the road here, when things kind of clear up, I, I think it's 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 going to be a few beers, and there's going to be some good stories that come out. Oh, oh. I mean, I, I got a couple people in my mind that I think if I met up with them and had the right beers, I could find yeah. that out pretty What's quick. What's the right beers? Well, y- y- the beers they like. Ah, <laughs> Giant Killers 1967 yeah. Pale You might just be Gilgamesh. drinking straight, you know, straight bourbon, but, you know. <laughs> Whatever it takes, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of with you guys. Uh, Josh Spencer wonders, to say football real money has to be spent, I don't want to see a triple option team, so how can we loosen the purse strings? Is the money there? Okay, so I, I don't remember if this happened. I mean, no, last week we talked about money a little bit. We and did. You gave us the breakdown. That was fantastic. And there was, so we have a, a really dialed in, he's a professor at Oregon State that posts on our board, and he actually, there was a decision then made, I think it maybe was the day after the pod, um, that President Ray recommended and the Faculty Senate agreed to um, basically give athletics $8 million a year. And so instead of them borrowing the $4 million that they had been borrowing, there's no payback. This is $8 million that will be given to help balance the budget every year. And what that does is before, you know, students freak out, this is something, you know, back when I was a fundraiser, this was something we were begging for because it wasn't a level playing field because like at Arizona and Arizona State, the university gave what they call tuition waivers for all their student athletes. So they didn't have to turn around and write a check for tuition. Whereas Oregon State, any money you raise for the Beaver Athletic Scholarship Fund or our Beaver Nation, basically all that money, the $8 million or $10 million that you brought in, then was turned around and wrote an $8 million check to the university to pay the tuition for all your student athletes. So basically now what that does is it frees up about $4 million additional 
because they were already giving $4 million. But um, the athletic department doesn't have to return the payment on that. It's not like a loan from the foundation. But what we need to see now, and, and Prof on our board has done a really good job of highlighting this, is right now Oregon State is spending about 20% of their budget on football. And that's that $15 million that they're spending. Um, what that needs, you know, what it should be, you know, Scott Barnes at Pitt was about 29 to 31%. So raising what is given allocated for football, and that goes for everything from assistant coaches, salary pool to, you know, facility type stuff, um, and, and really, really making football, you know, that's, this is such an important time for Oregon State because we're really going to see is football serious? Are they serious about being contenders? Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 st- I haven't stressed this enough on my show on the podcast last week. If you don't want to slip back into being what you were as the, the basement dweller, you have to decide, is this it? Is this the time where we spend the money and we say, screw it. We, we have it. Let's do it. And I think if they make the wrong decision here, it's, it's going to cost them dearly for years they're already buying the eight ball every year anyway uh i think if you really want to be a contender and and i can't remember if i said this on the pod last week like rutgers is a great example here rutgers traditionally is terrible in football they're just not a good football program they're in the big 10 now rutgers and it's a controversial move but rutgers has now went all in they're all in on college football said dude we're in the big 10 we're going to build this up. We're going to give these facilities. We're going to do these jerseys. They are all in financially on football. And it goes back and it harkens back to what you said last week, Angie. It's the front porch of your university. Now, it hasn't paid off for Rutgers yet. But that's an example of a team that traditionally is basically OSU in the East in football. And even though they haven't won yet, they have said, you got to decide. Are you in or are you out? You can't be in the middle. If you're in the middle, you're basically out. And Rutgers went in. I think Oregon State's in the same position. Are you in or are you out? I hope they're in, man. I just I don't know like what else to say besides I hope they're in. I, I it is the front porch of the university. I, that's an expression I love. Angie is just that, that's what it is. I mean, studies have shown that feasibility studies and case studies time and time again for football programs at universities have shown that. And so uh, people have credit or discredited like people have attributed uh the downfall of oregon state football in the 70s and 80s to an apathy from the you know university president and the administration and so i'm hoping that that's not where we're at now just just to give you guys an update so here here was the the actual part of the thread i was looking for so um power five football averages the budget averages 26.5 million okay in football expenses the bottom five programs in Power Five, Georgia Tech, Purdue, Wake Forest, Oregon State, and Kansas is dead last. God. Georgia Tech is down there? Yeah, $17.4 million is their budget. Um, so 17.4, Purdue 16.9, Wake 16.6, OSU 15.7, and Kansas 14. Now the top five, Bama spends $56 million, oh. Florida State 42, Auburn 41.9, yep. Notre Dame 39, and Georgia 38.9. I would no. love to see, one, the student uh, population boom in the eras for all those programs, Florida State, mm-hmm. Alabama specifically, and I'd love to know the tuition hike. I, I said this about Oregon. Oregon did the same thing where they won and they kept going in and in and in, and we talked about how it helped Oregon With a the lot. California, yeah. Yes. Oh, my California. God. And Crawford, you know about the California pipeline. Oh, I know. 
And we, I mentioned that, and Lister goes, you really think that all this is attributed to their football program? You're sorely yes. mistaken. And I was like, no. No, it really is. It actually. really is. I'll tell you what, man. At my high school, I graduated in 2009 um, from Newport Harbor High School in Newport Beach, California. My graduating, the, the year, class of 08, one kid went to Oregon. Class of 09, two kids went to Oregon. Class of 2010, 14 kids. Class of 2011, about a dozen kids. Wow. Class of 2012, about 14, 15 kids. And it's continued at that rate ever since. Wow. Yep. It's football. It's It's, it's the O. It it's football the... because, like, like Alex, last, last week, that's what I was talking about. It's like, it's the front porch, but then it's also, basically, if your football team is winning, then people associate your whole university as winning. Yeah. Yes. As, oh, yeah, totally. Know? Yeah, it's a bragging point. You get you get something to brag about uh, with your alma mater, too, once you get out of college. All right, uh, great stuff from Angie there. Uh, Corey, why did it take so long to get uh, a little creative going on the offense? First time all year, I didn't think play calling was horrible. I think we kind of answered that. Just might have been Anderson holding them back. Yep, I agree. Um, this one, Angie, you can answer this one, I think, better than the both of us. is, And this is from Corey as well. Is the Moran move back to QB a permanent one, and does he have the ability to be a Pac-12 quarterback? It is permanent. Um, he's not going back to safety. He will be a quarterback. Um, you know, his arm's not as good as, you know, other quarterbacks, but I love that he can move. You know, I, I think, you know, right now he is drinking from a fire hose because the offense has changed a little bit. He had only thrown like five passes back in spring ball before he moved um, over to uh, the defensive side. So he is drinking through a water hose right now. But with the bye week, it is giving him, giving him that time to run, you know, kind of first team reps. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, Amy uh, let me know that he looked great, and it was, you know, it was tough for him. But today, I think it was a little tougher day. The little bits I saw looked like he was thinking a little more. But, no, he will be back up. The, they just need more depth. I don't, I'm not ready to say he's ready to be a Pac-12 quarterback yet. Um, but he obviously, I mean, can move the chains with his legs. Okay, we can all answer this one. Um, I'll start with you, Angie. This is from Sean. What needs to happen in our last five games for Hall to get any consideration for head coach? Would that hire leave more money for better assistance? My, my thinking on this is if, if, you know, I don't think he's really under consideration yet, but if he can win out or win, be, win a few and be close in the rest, um, then I think it makes it interesting. But uh, and this is what I said on Mike Parker's show. If he wants to be considered, he needs to have his list right now. Like, he needs to go be finding the best offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and the staff that he would build because that's what he needs to basically take to uh, Scott Barnes and say, look, you know, I don't have the experience necessarily, never been a head coach at a, at a Power 5 conference, but I'm bringing X guy, X, you know, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And that, think, that could, you know, make it happen. I think that's a good point, Angie, because, like, I've been thinking about Corey Hall, too, and just – uh, what I liked that I saw out of Saturday, of course, we talked about we don't want to get caught up in that, you know, one game as the head coach syndrome. But, you know, the head coach position, the head coach position is so managerial now. Yeah. And you're dealing with so many people and, and you're talking to the media and you have to meet with boosters and you have to be the face of the program. So that would really be my question with Coach Hall would be, is he ready for that? And like, and so that's where, like, I don't see like a Jonathan Smith. I don't see Jonathan Smith doing that part of the, the job. No, he just, no, Smith does give that I'm an X's and O's guy vibe. And even, I know Coach Anderson when he was with the boosters was good, but didn't enjoy uh, meeting with the boosters and doing that and being, you know, as, as open as, as some college coaches are. And so, um, uh, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm curious if coach Hall can handle the managerial duties, but 
if he did come with a list like you just said, uh, Angie, and, and showed that and, and said these are the assistants that I need and blah, 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 then I think that would give him uh, uh, a huge advantage. Uh, in regards to Corey Hall, look, I mean, if you beat Stanford, Arizona, Arizona State, and Oregon, then I don't know how you're not considered for the job. My personal opinion is love everything he brings. Don't think realistically he should be a candidate. Uh, I would love maybe some consideration with him on the next staff. If he is a decent recruiter, we know he clearly has the passion, the connection. He seems like a guy that can work his way up to a head coaching gig at some point. But Oregon State needs to try to shoot for the stars here. I think you really need to think Washington State, Mike Leach, uh, just in the regard of everybody dismiss a program like Washington State to get better than Paul Wolf. Who you going to get? Well, you had uh, Bill Moose fly down to Key West and recruit Mike Leach. I'm not saying you're going to go get Mike Leach, but shoot for the stars here. I would love Trump. Or not Trump. I said Trump. What? I'm reading Twitter. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, no, a tweet literally just popped in and it said Trump. Uh, I would love Scott Barnes to have a money list that he could convince somebody that would surprise the heck out of everybody to just come to Corvallis and come coach. And yep, if I you agree. did go to Corey Hall, of course it would leave more money because you would not pay Corey Hall very much. This one from Tim. Um, this is the last one. Well, we got a, ah, two more. This one from Tim. Recruits still say that our facilities don't measure up. After all the investment in Valley, what needs to be improved, not including Reeser? You know, Oregon State's facilities, I mean, they're nothing like crazy over the top, but they're at least on par now with the rest of the conference. So I don't think it's any any big deal. But And, and Oregon State, you know, I, I know Coach Anderson talked all this, you know, trash about Oregon State and their facilities and but um, I thought I heard Scott Barnes talking about a 10-year feasibility study that they were working on yeah. like a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. So um, I know they're looking at that. I know that they're looking at all kind of ways of making that West Side work, you know, putting classrooms in their dormitory on the back side, you know, doing something to make that, you know, more than just something that's used for six Saturdays in a year. Make, make it, it, make it a dorm. Make it a dorm. Make it the football or basketball dorms. That would make the most sense. Yep. They're right there. Um, and it would save kids, you know, some walking time. They're, they're already yep. going to be there most of the days anyway. Uh, this from Spencer, who's a huge listener. He says, what order of importance for upgrading football facilities and what's realistic timeline? So what's the most important thing? Is it the west side of the stadium? I, I think it, it needs to be finished because right now it doesn't look finished and it's um, it's not going to bring in revenue. That's why you have to look at other avenues. But yeah, I mean everything else. You look at the indoor facility; it's fine. The the weight room's good. Pro th- or the practice field's fine. It's it's really now they have their their locker room. You know, redo. I mean, you look at what happened at Colorado State and what they were able to build, or look what Stanford built back in the you know yeah. Yeah, you know, they just need to finish it. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I agree because I I do think that most of the other facilities are on par. You're never like I think B fans often get uh, in trouble by comparing things to what's down south in Eugene. You can't. You can't. I mean, NFL teams can't compare with what they have in a lot of of places. Exactly. So finish the stadium, close it up, and and but like I I do agree that it's got to be creative because right now you can't fill Reeser at all, uh, or you can barely half fill it on Saturday. So you need to find some creative ways to to close that up and just make. It look finished. Yeah, make it look finished. Uh, last question from William. We'll give our two cents and then be out. What is your most important trait you want the new head coach to have? What are you looking for in the new coaching staff? Selfishly, I want him to be nice to the media. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, you know, I, I, they need to be a recruiter. They need, and, and I'll harp on recruiting time and time again. That's, but that's the most important thing, recruiting. is it not? Don't we all agree on that? As yes. much as X's and O's matter, 
Go get a coach that can get a staff to recruit, 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 yep. recruit. And you can be a mediocre coach, and it doesn't matter because you recruited, and at least you may disappoint some years and not get to a big, big bowl game, but for the most part, you are a consistent winner. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess if we're not, you know, I agree with recruiting as being supremely important. I also want a guy, and I thought Anderson was this guy, and Riley was this guy. I wonder if you're going the same place I am. I was going to say a guy that gets Corvallis and loves Oregon State, loves the Beavers, loves, like, I often, I hear so often that you can't recruit to Corvallis because it's a cow town and it sucks. I personally love Corvallis, Oregon. Like, I loved it before I went to school there. I like it. And I think if you recruit the right kind of kid or the right kind of person to come live there and work there, there are a lot of people that actually will like Corvallis, well, Oregon. Well, look at They always talk about how hard it is to recruit. And maybe, you know, I get it, you know, the 18 to 22-year-old. But look at all the former big-time coaches that have retired there. I mean, you have Greg Newhouse, Mark Banker, um, Dan Cazetto, Riley D. Riley still lives there. That's Riley will, will live there. Yeah, will live there. Yeah. I mean, look at. I mean, Coach or Coach Erickson talks about that was like the biggest mistake of his life is leaving Corvallis. Yeah, p- people love it, man. <laughs> I loved it when I was like 16 years old, and I get it. I'm not. I'm not your D1 typical football player, whatever. But like, I think if you get the right kind of coach that can sell you on Oregon State and loves the Beavers and isn't just trying to treat it as a stopgap or a stopover for him. Uh, and, then- and Alex, so this is. I mean, this will be fun because we've talked. I mean, Brandon and I've talked about this and there's this is where like there are so many former beaver players now that are coaching and yeah. it would, those guys get it right yeah. i mean like keith hayward still has his home in corvallis um you have enoki brechterfield you have you have a lot of guys that they get it right they get what it takes to be in corvallis they get what it takes to win in corvallis mm-hmm. um and you're right they have a passion they have a, a maybe a more vested interest in seeing them succeed because they they've lived it. They they've been there. They they know what it's like. Just to to piggyback real quick off your comment, Crawford. Uh, I think you're a different individual than most. That's true. That's and that's true. a good thing. That doesn't have to. That's not a bad thing. No. I came from Portland and I lived like in North Northeast Portland yeah. my whole life. I'm a big city guy. I do not like being in the woods very much. I like hiking. I don't want to sleep there. <laughs> um, when I moved there, I totally get it. I get the perception. The cow town. This sucks. That was my thought. Now, I was there for four years. I fell completely in love with the place. I really did. I still love going back. Um, Now that I'm older, I got a family. I understand people that want to live there full time. But I get the young perception. You do have to fight that. Now, if you win, that fight becomes a lot easier. Totally. And it's not because only Pullman. I would yes. say Pullman's worse than Corvallis. Oh, Definitely. no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like people people say, well, Pullman's got you know better facilities, whatever. Mm. I'm like Martin Stadium is tiny yeah, and it's, it's old. It's and, tiny. It's, it's just, thirty thousand. I don't. Yeah, winning winning cures all. But winning, I just, winning cures everything. Yeah. You didn't mention what I said, and this is this is the point I wanted to say to William and other listeners. The trade I also want in the coach, aside from recruiting, I think being somebody that loves interaction with humans and and fun and fundraising because that is going to be if you want to come to Corvallis and you want to win and you want to do everything in Oregon State you got to keep up in an arms race here and if Scott Barnes stays he's gonna need help shouting and screaming to the mountaintops we need more money we need more money exactly you have the football coach as that kind of character I think that takes you even further as as far as anything else. So that's another trait that I'd like. Um, Real quick, very, very real quick, who is our favorite right now to land the gig? If we're going way too soon, which we are, 
Is there a favorite? I think this hire is going to be made in December, and I think it's going to be early December, so maybe it's not too far because that's like a month, less than a month and a half. Who is the picture-perfect hire in your guys' minds? Right now, they announce the job, and you go, yes. Let's be realistic, too. Who are you going with, Crawford? Mine is Ken Niamatololo from Navy. He's my, okay. he's my, if they announced him, I'd You I'd really be... think they can get him out, huh? Well, I mean, I don't know for sure if they can. Joel Klatt was on with Dusty and Cam yep. on Friday, and he said that there's more weight to that than people might give credence to because he said that Ken wanted the Cal job, didn't get it, wants to get back out to the West Coast. Does he want to... He bought a very nice home on the North Shore, I read, oh, of well. Hawaii. So. He, well, he, needs, he needs easy... Does, I, does he run the triple option here? Because I don't know how fans feel about that. I, well, I actually don't care. I like the triple option. Yeah, I, I really do. Either. I really do. I, it's I, fun to watch. It is fun to watch. I think it's different. I think Mike Riley was successful because he ran a he ran a pro style when people were running the spread a lot or different things, and so you could recruit a kind of different guy, whatever. I really like Ken Niamatololo. I like the potential for a minority coach. I think that helps some of the Corvallis like recruiting issue. Like I love the optics of seeing a black head coach at Oregon State on the sideline. People think Corvallis, you know, white little farming town agriculture. And then you say, hey, there, here's a minority head coach. I think that helps the recruiting process and the optics for the school a ton. So I would love, and Kenny Motlo seems like a great guy. He's had success at Navy. Um, that would be my ideal. What is yours, Sprague? Um, <clears throat> I can't give you one. I really can't. I've, I've really tried to, to narrow that down to one. There are... There's several. I mean, like Frank Wilson at UTSA is one that Frank Wilson's and, a good one. Uh, I do and I like, like the Mike Yurchich. I think is how you say it. The OC at Oklahoma State. Yep, I think he's a good one because of the offense they run, and I think Oregon State can get those athletes every time. Uh, I also really do like uh, the um, uh, what is it? The Toledo coach. Yeah, the Toledo coach Campbell. Oh yeah, okay. I think he's a sneaky good candidate, and he's a you know sub five. Uh, power five coach and here's one that might surprise you and i don't know how realistic it is and i think it would hit your criteria crawford i don't think it's insane i really don't i don't think it's insane to think that you can go get dino babers from syracuse okay and i'll I'll tell you why i know syracuse financially probably has as much money for football and what's the difference it's a lateral move i totally get that Go look at Dino Baber's resume, because I guarantee you nobody else has looked at it. I did. That dude is all West Coast oriented. Every jo- Pretty much every job he had leading to that head coaching gig, West Coast, West Coast, West Coast, California, Arizona. He is tied in. He's got a pipeline here. He's established one now on the East Coast, and I think he's a really good football coach. If there's a dark horse candidate that's not crazy through the roof name yeah it's dino babers for me i like that i like that haven't heard that yet i hadn't but i like it well here's another here's another one just so you haven't given us yours well i i said i liked frank wilson and yurchich okay but the one that's kind of and i I have to go back and look but i think this is right and i'm not sold on this yet but tedford so tedford and Scott Barnes were at Fresno at the same time together. Tedford's back at Fresno, right? And he's back at yeah. Fresno. You know, would he want to leave his alma mater? To get back in the Pac-12, he might. He was, I guarantee you didn't like the way it ended at Cal. Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I, he's only 55. I'd I know, be, he looks I'd a be lot on, older than that. I'd be in for Tedford. I thought he was like 68. <laughs> I know, I know. 
Yeah. Anyway, I'm, that, I'm in that on was that. one that you know I was like oh, I didn't even realize that they played together. But yeah, Scott Barnes played basketball. Wow, I and, did not uh, know that. Yeah. Um, do we like or hate Lane Kiffin? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's no. I don't like. I it. don't think it's realistic. No. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, Lane wants eh. a job that he looks great in. Oregon State would still take some time for him to build up. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. He wants to come and, and look sexy immediately, yep. and and then move on to something else. I completely agree. Yeah, he doesn't want Corvallis, and he's not. I don't want Lane. He's he's, he's more Hollywood. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, anything else you guys want to touch on? No. I think we got to everything there. Great questions this week. Yeah, good questions, guys. Uh, Crawford, seriously, congratulations, yes, man. Yeah, Crawford, that's awesome. You, Thank you. You've done a great job. The university is, I think, indebted to you. I would love to hop on and help you if you decide to do a 2000 Fiesta Bowl team thing. Yeah, I'll let y'all know. No, like, legit help you. Yeah. Um, I, I'm in too. Okay, and I think fans I, would be all about the damn that. documentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, but seriously, if you do, if you I'd have, I'd like to thank Tostito. That yeah. was, uh, it's my, my Dennis Erickson. <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, Tostitos. Tostito. Tostito. Uh, if you made it this far in the podcast and you haven't checked out the <laughs> Giant Killers movie, go to www.legendofthegiantkillers.com and uh, check out Gilgamesh Brewing released a Giant Killers Pale Ale that you can get around the state now. It's quite 22- tasty. I got trashed on it last Civil War. 22-ounce uh, bottles and then limited edition uh, there is a Giant Killers bourbon that was released that you can get at liquor stores in Corvallis and Albany. Um, that is really good. Bourbon. All right. Talk about bourbon. You know, getting drunk and finding out some yeah. Gary Anderson stories. There we go. <laughs> Pick up a bottle of that. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Uh, you can find Dr. Croft on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Croft. That's Alex Crawford's Twitter handle. I don't know why it's a doctor handle, but that's what he went it's with. It's because I'm, I'm someday going to get a PhD. Uh, that's Probably not going to happen, but you know what? I actually wouldn't put it past you. You are the kind of guy to randomly go, hey, I got my PhD last year. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Crawford, are you going to join us again this year? On this podcast? Yes. Uh, yeah, if Brandon invites me, I'm down. Okay. Why? Why? No, because it's fun. Oh, okay, cool. Thank Angie, you. did Thank you know you. that uh, Crawford secretly is jealous because him and I used to do a podcast together? Oh, and I took his spot. Yeah, two years yeah, ago we I did. I wouldn't say you took his spot. I'd say you and I just worked out better. Well, yeah, two years ago we did the beef cast. <laughs> the and beef then cast, you're like, yeah. I'm doing the beef damn cast. podcast with Angie. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's that's tight. Good for you. Good for you. That's awesome. <laughs> but now Crawford has his own thing, the House Divided podcast. He talks Oregon, Oregon State, and just kind of the rivalry there and how much fun it is with fans back and forth. So that's where you can find Alex Crawford. Beaverblitz.com is buzzing right now with recruiting news, coaching news, Practice reports from Amy Schwartz. And uh, as always, you can find Angie on Twitter at Angie Machado one And uh, I'm at Brandon Sprague on Twitter. You can check out my radio show, Dirt and Sprague, Monday through Friday, 12 to 3 p.m. We'll be back next week. They play Stanford. I don't know how much we'll dive into the actual game. We may. Maybe we'll have a guest to break it down for us. But we'll talk about what we hope to see from Oregon State against the Cardinal. Thanks, for everybody, for tuning in and listening and downloading the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. Leave us that five-star rating with a nice little review. We greatly appreciate that. We'll talk to you guys next week on another edition of the Damn Podcast.